Welcome to this Mount Pleasant Baptist Church podcast recorded at our Burgoon campus. We're glad you've joined us and we pray that the Lord will speak to you and encourage you through this message. And uh, always a privilege to open the Word of God uh, before you. What a blessing it is to have the Word of God with us, the Scriptures with us to open uh, as we so freely do each week. Grace under pressure. Goodness me. It's been a great series so far. Trust that uh, the Lord's been speaking to you as we've followed the story of Joseph and uh, his 11 brothers and seen God powerfully at work, which we have in such a dysfunctional family. Goodness me. And so many deep-rooted and unresolved issues in the family. And so the question today is, could there ever be reconciliation? Is it possible? Is reconciliation and restoration possible in this family? And maybe you're asking the same question with a heavy heart this morning concerning fractured relationships in your own life or dysfunction in your own families. There's dysfunction in the world, isn't there? And there's grief. Joseph's family, uh, all the complications began with Jacob. He had four wives and he had a favourite wife, Rachel. (laughs) Goodness me. And there's Joseph and there's Benjamin who are at the centre of this story. And uh, Joseph was the favourite son. He was spoilt. He dobbed on his brothers. He, uh, he received all his father's attention. He had dreams, you remember, where they were all bowing down before him. And uh, he so unwisely shared those dreams with the family. And uh, they began to despise him. They envied him. In fact, they hated him with great intensity. And Joseph's ten brothers, they were a horrible lot. They were cruel. The first, Reuben, had committed incest. The next two, Simeon and Levi, well, they were guilty of genocide. The fourth, Judah, was involved in sexual immorality. All ten were jealous They envied their little brother Joseph and when he was 17, what they did is they stripped him, they beat him and they threw him into a pit with the intent of murdering him. And it was only a passing caravan coming by that really averted that and gave them opportunity actually to sell him for money into Egypt, into slavery. But God was with Joseph as we've come to see in the story and God raised Joseph up to be the governor of Egypt, in fact the known world at the time and he was only 30 years of age, so over a 13 year period. And today we're going to look at the three, at the brothers' three encounters with Joseph when he was the governor, which give us a valuable insight into forgiveness and aspects of forgiveness that I believe are often misunderstood. The story highlights the fundamental importance yet complexity of forgiveness in the process of reconciliation. We'll see that the seed of forgiveness was in Joseph, was planted in Joseph, 
However, the fruit of forgiveness, which is reconciliation and restoration, was not realised for many years because it was dependent on his brother's repentance. So the reconciliation process involved the letting go of the pain and suffering by Joseph and the conviction of guilt in his brothers for there to be reconciliation. We see this same pattern in Jesus and in Jesus' life where Jesus has provided for us the basis for forgiveness by dealing with our sin and our transgressions on the cross and he offers forgiveness to us and he patiently waits for us to turn to him and receive that gift and therefore receive freedom and to receive restoration, to receive life. So let's have a look at the brothers' first encounter with Joseph. It was when that predicted famine engulfed Egypt and uh, the known world. Jacob and his sons in Canaan were drought-stricken. They were starving, in fact. And we read in Genesis that when Jacob learned there was grain in Egypt, he prodded his indecisive sons. Why do you look at one another? Go down to Egypt and buy some grain so that we may live and not die. See, Joseph, uh, Jacob, sorry, Jacob sent his ten sons, but he wouldn't send Benjamin. He didn't trust them with Benjamin, his favoured son. Of course, unknown to the family, God had raised up Joseph. They didn't know this as governor uh, of the land. And he was the seller of the grain, so they'd need to be confronting him. Because they hadn't seen him for 13 years at this point. They thought they'd never see him again. And uh, they didn't recognise him when they arrived. He was clean-shaven, Joseph, dressed in royal clothing, and he was speaking Egyptian. But Joseph immediately recognised them as his brothers coming. They were at his mercy. Joseph had let go of the pain and the hurt of the past, but he wanted to know their hearts. And this is the centre of it all. Were they still this heartless lot, callous, envious, murderous lot? Did they hate him and were they capable of doing the same thing again? to one of their own. So Joseph treated them like strangers. Can you imagine? Strongly interrogated them and accused them of being spies. And, uh, of course, spying was punishable by death. In their distress, they said, no, no, no. My Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are sons of one man in Canaan. We're ten brothers. One is with our father and one is dead. We are honest men, they said. Goodness me. So Joseph put them through what they put him through 13 years earlier. They oppressed him, now he oppressed them. They accused him of spying, now he accuses them of spying. They had thrown thrown him into a pit, now he throws them into jail for three days. The idea of them contemplating the parallels and giving them time to see really where they are and what's been happening in their lives. 
But we'll see Joseph is not simply a hurt victim looking to get revenge and punish his brothers, who, by the way, were responsible for causing him immeasurable pain and suffering. But he had a merciful plan to overcome evil with good, enabling his brothers to face what they had done and for life, not death, to be worked into the family. For life to be worked into the family. So Joseph decided that Simeon would stay in prison and the other nine would go and bring who? Benjamin back. So he could test their honesty and see how they would treat their now father's favourite son. So Joseph, uh, Joseph was using an interpreter through all of this so the brothers didn't realise he understood what they were saying between themselves. And this is what they said at one point, Genesis 42. Surely we are being punished. We are guilty concerning our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. So Joseph knew they were being convicted of their sin, their horrific sin and guilt. Their conscience was being awakened. This is a mercy. They needed to be confronted with the guilt of their actions if they were ever, if there was ever to be reconciliation. Of course, this is the point that Joseph first broke down and he wept. Uh, he wasn't after revenge, but was mercifully seeking forgiveness and reconciliation. But Joseph couldn't reveal himself to them at this point because he needed to see if they were genuinely remorseful. For forgiveness involves repentance. There can't be true forgiveness that leads to restoration without repentance. True guilt is good. True guilt is healthy. Without it, there'd be no opportunity for resolution of anything in our lives. It's guilt that awakens us to the wrong in our lives, that needs fixing. It brings us to seek forgiveness and resolution and freedom into our lives. So genuine guilt is a gracious doorway into restoration and into freedom. It's to be embraced, even though at times it is most painful to embrace the guilt of what we've done. See, my first recollection of this guilt was as a 10-year-old. I remember it so plainly. I don't know why it came up when I was preparing, but it did. Uh, I was 10, I was kicking the football with friends on a block across the road, which had joined a church building uh, in those days. And uh, the football sailed through the window of the church, shattered the glass, the football hit the organ, everything went everywhere. In fact, the football came back out on the veranda. Uh, <laughs> you can imagine the shock and the horror as 10-year-olds uh, seeing all of this. The fear gripped us, actually. And what we did is we grabbed the football and we ran. <laughs> we hid. And where do we hide? At home. And in comes our parents. Well, it was mum, actually, at the time. What on earth's going on? What's wrong? And, of course, she encouraged us uh, to go up the street to the manse 
and to approach the Reverend Jack Hutchinson. Some might know that man. And uh, let him know what you've done. Goodness me. Of course, the code for confession, I suppose. <laughs> Uh, and eventually, in guilt and fear, we mustered up enough courage to, to arrive at the front door of the manse. We knocked on the door and the reverend answered and he said, Hello, boys. He knew something was wrong. <laughs> and uh, I said, We kicked the football through the church window. And uh, he responded immediately with this. And I can remember it. He said, thank you, boys, for letting me know. I can fix that. Now, can you imagine the release and the freedom that came to us when we heard those words from him? Well, it flooded my little heart, actually, at the time, I remember. The guilt was gone. See, the matter was resolved. The thing was done. It was gone. I mean, he had the fix-up to do, of course, the... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to clean up the glass and to get the insurance people in, no doubt. But you see, forgiveness is often misunderstood and I think often loosely applied. See, the words translated forgive in the Gospels have two main meanings and I think it helps to recognise that these two aspects of forgiveness which we see so clearly in Joseph's life, we need to see them, we need to appreciate them. Firstly, to give up or to release, or sorry, or to give up or to cease to harbour resentment. And this is about what happens in the inner life of the injured person, in this case, Joseph. There's an inner letting go that dealt with the damaging effects of bitterness and resentment in Joseph's life. See, this willingness to forgo revenge, to not harbour an unforgiving spirit, and so not let the poisoning of the, the, the sin destroys his own life, which it can do. See, he was able to leave it with God. See, this disposition of heart does not or may not actually always lead to the second aspect, which is to pardon an offender, what we might call an outward letting go, which Joseph was waiting for throughout the whole story but involves the repentance of the perpetrator for forgiveness to be completed. Do you see that? The scripture makes it clear that there cannot be actual forgiveness without repentance. With John the Baptist, what was, his, what was he preaching? Repentance unto forgiveness. What did Jesus say on a number of occasions? If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent... Forgive them. And Peter said, repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. See, Joseph had, and I don't want to confuse people here because we often use some words loosely, but Joseph had this first aspect of forgiveness, which was a willingness to forgo vengeance, which does not undo the tragedy or pardon the wrong. Sin matters to God. It matters. But it frees the injured person. It's a significant first step towards a better future. See, Joseph knew there could never be this second aspect of forgiveness. 
of true forgiveness and reconciliation unless the brothers acted consistent with their claims to be honest men and they repented of their wrongdoing because justice matters to God. Justice matters. Forgiveness makes no sense without repentance. Forgiveness flows from repentance. We see this in Jesus' death on the cross. He paid the ultimate price. His death is sufficient for all. And the gift of forgiveness is available to all. But some will not receive it because they will not repent. They will not respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit that things are not right in their lives. They're too stubborn to admit that they're wrong and that something needs resolution in their lives. See, Martin Luther put it so well, I think. There are two kinds of sin. One is rightly confessed, which no one should leave unforgiven. The other kind is defended, and this one no one can forgive, for it refuses either to be counted as sin or to accept forgiveness. Do you see that? And the process of forgiveness began in Joseph's brothers when they admitted their guilt to one another. And the story, when the story continues now with Joseph bound Simeon, he sent the nine brothers off to Benjamin with their grains, do you remember, full of not only uh, grain, but he put the money back in there that they'd paid for the grain. And off they went uh, back to their father. And on the journey home, they discovered the money that had been put in their sacks. And we read this, their, their hearts sank and they turned to each other trembling and said, what is this that God has done to us? This is the first time they'd mentioned God's name, by the way, in the whole story. See, their guilty conscience gave rise to what is a good, healthy fear of the Lord. We need to have the fear of the Lord. It's against the Lord that we sin. That's why John Newton in Amazing Grace wrote this, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." He knew he'd perish in his sins without it. There'd be no awakening and no fear of God. Anyway, imagine the scene when they arrived home, back at home in Canaan, without Simeon and uh, having uh, uh, the governor say, go and get Benjamin. That to relay all this back to Joseph, of course, uh, Jacob, when they arrived home. So you can imagine Jacob lost Simeon, lost Joseph, now Benjamin. No, you're not taking him. I can't entrust you with him. If he dies, I'll die of sorrow, we read. Uh, and the brothers started to feel the pain of their father's loss. This is good. Godly sorrow. They knew and began to experience the impact of their sin on the family and on many other people. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. And it was the severity, it was only really the severity of the drought and the need for food that forced Jacob's approval for the brothers to return uh, to, uh, to Joseph with Benjamin for this second time. 
And as they set out, Jacob prayed this prayer, significant prayer. He prayed, said, may God Almighty grant you mercy. They needed mercy before the man because they didn't know it was Joseph so that he will let your other brother, that is Simeon and Benjamin, come back with you. See, mercy is exactly what they needed. See, mercy is the key to the whole story and mercy is the key to your life and my life. It's the key. Mercy is undeserved goodness coming your way. Undeserved, but it's goodness out of the hand of another. You can't control mercy. It's in the hands of another person and it all originates in God himself. Mercy is compassion in action and it relieves distress in your life. And the longer I live, the more amazed and overwhelmed I am at the mercy of God. His mercy towards me in so many different ways. The Lord is merciful. And when the brothers arrived for the second time, Joseph invited them to the palace, to his home, to his place. How amazing is that? They were scared witless, by the way. The great sense of guilt... Why would the governor single us out to come to the palace apart from he has something terrible for us? We're in trouble. They knew about the money, of course, that was in there. Maybe they were being charged of stealing it. So as the fear grew, one of the stewards said to them, do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. What a surprise. Mercy, mercy coming their way. Simeon was brought out and the stewards led the brothers into Joseph's house, into the grand dining room, can you imagine it? And all the 11 brothers bowed down to Joseph. They bowed low. Reminded Joseph, of course, of the dream that he had all those years ago. Joseph asked about their well-being and about the well-being of their father. And when he saw Benjamin, his mother's son, he wept. He was moved deeply in his heart. He had to leave. Goes off to a private place and he wept there uncontrollably because he loved them. He had compassion towards them. Of course, Joseph didn't reveal himself, even at this point, because he needed to be certain of the brothers' change of heart and their repentance. And when he got himself together, food was served. The brothers uh, were amazed because Joseph had actually sat them down in order of their age. And Joseph was generous with them all. He fed them so well. The royal feast for his brothers. And he gave Benjamin five times as much food as he did to the others. And those old envies were not stirred up. They were happy. They were satisfied. And Jacob's prayer, as you can see, was being answered. It was probably being answered beyond and above his wildest dreams. And that's what God does. That's how God answers our prayers. 
but there was more to be done before Joseph could reveal himself. So the next day, the brothers, you can imagine them, full of joy. When mission accomplished. It's all done. We're all together. We're all heading back home, now to Father, uh, and uh, things will all be well. However, Joseph, what did he do? He had his valuable silver cup placed in Benjamin's sack. Set up. Joseph, as a final test, wanted to see if the brothers would do the same to Benjamin as they had done to him. Or would they take the opportunity and would they take the opportunity to repent? Or would they take the opportunity to repent? So that's the test. Same thing they did to him, or would they repent as the pathway to reconciliation? So Joseph ordered the stewards to go off after them and accuse them of stealing. And he, the steward did. Whoever has the cup, they, uh, the steward said to the brothers, shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be free from blame. All the bags were searched into their great shock and horror. You can imagine it. The silver cup was found in all people's sacks. Benjamin's, the favoured boy. The brothers tore their clothes. Something new was happening in the hearts of the brothers. They didn't abandon their father's favourite son to save themselves, but they went back to Joseph and they pleaded with all their heart to Joseph. So we now have this third and final encounter where Joseph then accuses them of stealing. Now Judah stood up on this occasion. He took personal and full responsibility for everything that happened. He admitted that all the brothers were guilty. We're all guilty. We all are, not just the one, but every one of us, declaring that God had found them out. Their guilt and their sin was found, not in stealing the cup, but in doing much worse than that, causing much more grief to the family and to others. So Joseph says, no, 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 only the man with the silver cup shall be my servant. The rest of you can go in peace to your father. Do you see what he's setting up? Everything rested on what they'd do with Benjamin, the reenactment of the original situation had been achieved. Everything was in place for this second betrayal, but at a more tempting price, their own freedom. Jacob, uh, Judah again steps up with gr at great personal risk, by the way, to Joseph, the governor, and in bold defence of Benjamin, in honour of his father, passionately pleaded, it's a long speech, for his father's favourite son to be set free claiming his father's life was bound up in his son. So the brothers had repented of their sin against Joseph. and They'd forgiven their un, the unfair favouritism of their father. And finally, Jacob carries on in this way, in great love for his father and his brothers, he offered himself as a substitute. Instead of Benjamin, Judah's deep and great love for the brothers and for his father. He took on full responsibility before God for the family, which broke Joseph's heart. Divine love in action. 
And Judah was transformed by divine love. See, his willingness to be a substitute, who does that foreshadow? It foreshadows Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah and his substitutionary death for us. See, Jesus bore the cost. There's a cost. Justice matters. The cost of our sin. Sin matters. To open the way for forgiveness and reconciliation uh, of life, uh, reconciliation and newness of life for us. So now, real repentance had been reached in the brothers. So the time had come for genuine forgiveness to be, what was the second aspect? To be outwardly offered by Joseph to his brothers. Tears poured down Joseph's face. You know the scene. He wept with such intensity that the sound of his crying carried through the palace. He gathered himself and he said, I am Joseph, your brother. They shrank back. You can imagine they would have been in shock for on a number of fronts. They were in absolute shock and terror. What this brother that we sold because we hated him, he's now governor. We're at his mercy. We're at his mercy. They were speechless. And so Joseph said this. He said, come near to me. This is God's heart. Come near. Come near to me. They came near and he said this. He said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into slavery. Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me. For God sent me before you to save lives. It was not you who sent me, but God to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Our family will not become destitute. Joseph threw his arms around his brothers. They all wept, and you can imagine. All the guilt was gone, freedom and release into restoration of family life as Joseph chose mercy, not revenge. And love reigned. So what do we do when people do wrong to us? Is the question. What can we learn from Joseph's story? Well, Joseph trusted in God, but Joseph trusted in the sovereignty of God, that God would work it out, that God would do good and right. His good and right purposes would be worked out, even in this, no matter what. You wrongly sold me into slavery, but God sent me to save lives and reconcile the family. It's like when, Jesus, when Peter declared on the day of Pentecost, do you remember? Jesus, he said, this is Peter, Jesus was nailed to the cross by wicked men, the hands of wicked men. 
but was delivered up by the predetermined and for predetermined counsel and foreknowledge of God to put an end to death and to bring life and reconciliation. And Joseph knew that God was both just and merciful, so he left his pain and his hurt with God. Long before Moses wrote, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And before Paul in Romans 12 wrote, Do not repay evil for evil. Do not take vengeance, but leave room for God's wrath. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And for Joseph and for us, this involves an inward letting go of offences against us, an inward letting go, leaving them with God and so preventing the damaging effects of bitterness and resentment and hatred eating us up. In any way, in the end, you know, vengeance never satisfies, never. It only multiplies pain and suffering in your life. We also see in Joseph's life that when there was conviction of sin and true repentance in the offender, we can and we must at the right time outwardly forgive. Not always easy, as you know, as we all know. It usually takes time and prayer, but forgiveness is the pathway to reconciliation, restoration and freedom in your own life. God has forgiven us in Christ and because we're forgiven, we become ministers of reconciliation in his name. I'd like to just finish with a snippet, just a small snippet of Corrie Ten Boone's familiar story because it highlights these two aspects so clearly of forgiveness. She was a prisoner, as you know, uh, during the Holocaust. She faced cruel physical and brutal and sexual abuse from Nazi officers. Horrendous. But she knew that if she was ever to live a healthy life, a peaceful life post the war, she had to inwardly let go of the pain to God. Otherwise, she was doomed in her life and to trust in the sovereignty of God. And she did that. She did that. And she was living a wonderful life. And some years later, after sharing in a church service, she was face to face with one of the most brutal Nazi officers who abused her. And he approached her in repentance, seeking forgiveness. She couldn't do it. She couldn't do it, not outwardly forgive. She froze. Then she prayed for God's power. And in Jesus' name, she was able to forgive him. And at that moment, she experienced the power of the love of God like she has never known. And the release and the freedom and the truth of reconciliation and oneness had been accomplished. If you're struggling today to inwardly let go and release to God the hurt and pain of offences, we all do at different times. I just encourage you 
to bring it all to God, to lay it down and trust him to rightly deal with it. Or if you're experiencing even this morning conviction of sin in your life, see, it's a good thing. And I encourage you to be honest and to do business with God and to know the power of forgiveness in your life. Or if you're struggling with outward forgiveness, to outwardly forgive a repentant person, I encourage you to ask God, ask the Lord to grant you the power to do it and to do it at the right time and in the right way. So let's all stand together now as we sing this final song, Living Hope. Who can imagine so great a mercy that God of ages stepped down from glory to wear your sin and bear your shame? Thank you for joining us. We would love to hear from you. If you would like prayer, please submit a prayer request at mounties.org.au forward slash prayer or send an email to communications at mounties.org.au and one of our team will be in contact. Have a great week.